0: Love Talk Radio Hi everyone, welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show I'm your host, Marsha Waiteka Conversations plus connections equals community Those are my three C's The heart of my show is what's your story It's my belief we all have stories Some are similar, others are uniquely different Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Hello, everybody, and I want to welcome you to today's show. It's, it's particularly special for me. Oftentimes, I have guests on my show that I don't know. But that's not the case today, because my guest today is Dr. Harold Ashcraft. And Dr. Ashcraft um, has been my eye doctor for over 25 years. And I just want to welcome you to the show today, Harold. I'm so happy to have you join me.
1: Well, it's a pleasure for me to be here on the show with Marcia. I've known Marcia for Mm -hmm. a long time, her family for a long time, and it's always fun and interesting when she comes to my office because we have such a good talks.
0: We we do. We absolutely do and it's true. Um, um Harold, I didn't I didn't ever need glasses until I reached my 40s, but that wasn't the case for Julie, my daughter. She needed glasses at the age of 9 and we didn't even realize she had a vision issue and um so you've been taking the you've been taking care of my family for a very long time and i'm just think it's really fun to have a friend on the show with me today uh, i think we should start off by letting our listeners who don't know you um let them know a little bit about you so let's let's talk about you Harold this show is all about you so what tell us a little bit about your background and your family and all of that good stuff where you went to school
1: so, I was born in Idaho, I grew up in Utah, and one interesting fact factor is that when I was uh, in high school, I went to work for my uncle every summer and, and, uh, in Salt Lake City, and he owned a Volkswagen repair shop, and so I worked for him every year and did just about everything on cars, and, and uh, at that point, I had probably rebuilt hundreds of engines, so I had a lot of time around tools and people. And it was a lot of fun, and I learned a lot of stuff. Now I don't really work on my own cars anymore, uh, except <laughs> very minor. But I don't need to do it anymore. But that was a a good job at the time.
0: I didn't know that and about so, you. That's very interesting. Go ahead.
1: And then I <clears throat> I went to school and graduated from BYU uh, in Provo, Brigham Young University. I met my wife when I was a freshman. Uh, And then uh, some time passed on, about uh, after I finished my first year in college, I went on a LDS church mission to southern Germany, and I spent two years in Germany. And then I came Mm -hmm. back and went back to school. And uh, most of that time I was not really in contact with my wife Kelly, but I got back and I uh, saw her, and I found out that she was on her way to Italy, and she was there for a year and a half. And then she came back, and I didn't really know where she was too much, but except in Italy. And then we reconnected in, our, in my senior year of college, and then we got married uh, after I graduated from college, and then we moved to California to go to optometry school. And so I came oh. to school in California.
0: I didn't, so, H- Harold, I didn't know that. So where did you go to optometry school?
1: So I went to school in Fullerton in Orange County. It turns out there aren't any optometry schools in Utah, Nevada, uh, Idaho, Wyoming. So from my point of view, I had to come to California or Oregon or go to Texas. And so I ended up coming to California. My wife's from Las Vegas. Uh, She grew up in Las Vegas, so uh, she didn't really like the cold weather. And so Mm -hmm. we uh, moved to California, and uh, we've been here ever since, which has been quite a while. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes, and you have a very large family, because some of our kids went to school together. So just just briefly tell me, what's the size, what's the scope of your family, Harold?
1: So I, I think I do have a large family, at least for mm-hmm. uh, today's standards, and uh, my extended family is also uh, pretty big. I was talking to this about my daughter, and she said, you should say that you have over 100 first cousins, and uh, that's actually true. So my wife, who um, has one aunt and no cousins, at the first reunion she went to, uh, it was really a shock to see all those people, and she constantly said, now who's this and this and this, and we had to go (laughs) through the various families. And and my family really likes her because grandparents and uncles are, are special to her because she has a small family and they don't mm-hmm. get quite as much attention from my family, so she they my family really likes her, and so that's my extended family, but I also have seven children uh they're all mm-hmm. I have five girls and two boys. The oldest is thirty eight oh. uh the youngest is nineteen. they're all about two and a half years apart. And mm-hmm. my youngest daughter at, at nineteen is in uh, Santiago, Chile. On a church mission, she'll be there till next summer, and then she'll be home and back to college. So this is the first time in probably 35, 38 years that I have not had children at home—a long time.
0: Weird, weird, huh? It's different. Gosh, I mean, and all those women—I don't even—that could be a show unto itself. And I believe you would like to also mention that you just became a grandpa again right how many grandchildren do you have
1: so i currently have 11 grandchildren uh, my daughter lauren and her husband tyler who live in baltimore uh, had a baby girl a couple of weeks ago and will Congrats. be uh, my wife's already been out there to see them but i'll be going out probably <laughs> nice. next month and and uh, nice. so so yeah so we i'm i'm used to people of all ages
0: Yes you are. So speaking of of that, I'm just curious, so you worked on all these Volkswagens and you were obviously very adept with tools and using your hands and things like this. How is it that you became interested in in optometry?
1: Well, when I was, uh, my family, there aren't any doctors, there aren't any lawyers or most professionals. My parents both grew up on farms in Idaho and Wyoming Uh, But my father uh, became a teacher, and there are a lot Mm -hmm. of teachers in my family, my mother, my father, three of my brothers and sisters, my mother-in-law, one of my sons-in-law is a teacher. So we have a lot of teachers in the family. So I really didn't have any much exposure uh, to uh, doctors, uh, you know, and I didn't know much Mm -hmm. about them. And so I went to school and uh, studied engineering for a while, and I really liked it. I did well in engineering But I thought, you know, I just don't really know if I want to do this um, uh, forever. So I looked around and I thought of optometry. And it has a lot of physical science, optics, a lot of math, a lot of uh, closer, uh, less biology than some of the others. And so, and I had a good experience with my optometrist. I'd worn contacts and glasses. And so I thought that would be fun. And so I didn't really know about the other medical professions and it just... Kind of gravitated toward, uh, toward optometry, uh, which I've been very happy with.
0: Oh that's, that's just terrific. Um, I want to be asking you a lot of questions today because I feel like this is a wonderful opportunity. You know, when you if you were to visit your website, you talk about having healthy eyes for life. And there's a lot of things that some of us know about, some of us don't know about. And so, with your permission, I'm just going to have you sort of conduct a class for us today. So let's start off with this. I'd like to know the difference between nearsightedness, farsightedness, and an astigmatism. Can you can you kind of break that down for me?
1: Okay, so the those are the three basic conditions, refractive errors or uh, conditions that people wear glasses for. And it's easiest to remember them to think that people, that they put it in a positive term. So if you're nearsighted, you see better near. So if you have a person who says, if I take off my glasses and I hold something close and I see it perfectly, but I can't see in the distance, where they see good is near, so they're nearsighted. A farsighted person is a little more confusing because if you're young and farsighted, you can see far and near both but a far-sighted person's eyes are focused more at far, and their eyes have to work harder to see close. So a Mm far-sighted person might say, when I look close, my eyes get tired or strained, and they see better far. And astigmatism, which actually most people have, even most people Hmm. who don't wear glasses have some astigmatism. It's just not enough to cause a problem and astigmatism means that the shape of your eye is not really round or spherical, more like a spoon or a football, and it makes different parts of the vision, different angles, just different, and most people have a astigmatism correction if they have glasses, and most people have a little bit anyway. It just might not be enough mm. to wear glasses for. So nearsighted, see better near, farsighted, see better far, and on top of that, people have a little bit of astigmatism most of the time. And then the other main uh, thing that people can have is called presbyopia. And that just means that when people get in their 40s, usually they're focusing for close. is a little harder. For example, Marsha herself said, I never wore glasses mm-hmm. until I got in my 40s, and then I started having a little mm-hmm. trouble reading. And so mm-hmm. and you actually, a person named Donders actually looked at this 100 years ago and plotted it out mm. and you can look at a chart and, and know about where a person will be when they're 45 and it's roughly still correct today, after all those years.
0: That's really interesting. You know what occurs to me when I get the near-sighted, far sided stuff and that you could wear both contacts or glasses for that. Can you wear contacts if you have an astigmatism or are you really sort of relegated to wearing glasses?
1: So it used to be that you uh, could not wear contacts when you had astigmatism unless you wore hard contact lenses or gas permeable rigid lenses. But now they make soft lenses that have astigmatism corrections and they're special lenses that are weighted a little bit with prisms in the bottom so people can see mm-hmm. better. And so most people now can wear contacts in that way. And then. Say a few years ago, maybe if you had a low astigmatism, you could wear them, but if you had a high astigmatism, maybe you still couldn't order lenses. But lately now we can order and have lenses made. So it's unusual now that a person would have so much prescription that you couldn't order or even custom order lenses. So most of the time we can get what pretty much anyone anyone, anyone needs.
0: You know, you just reminded me of a, of a circumstance. I remember my very good friend here that lives here in Westchester, her, one of her sons was prescribed hard contact lenses to sleep in to, I, I, unless I've just got this wrong, Harold, and I probably, I probably might very well have it wrong, to actually help reshape the eye. Was that ever um, a, a procedure that people did maybe 20 years ago or so? Or longer? Was that, so, uh, does, does that even make sense, what I've just said?
1: Right. So that's been around for a long time, over 30 years, even mm-hmm. before soft lenses came out. And, and uh, you have to use hard lenses for that or gas permeable lenses. Uh, the main thing that's changed in that is that years ago, and I fit those years ago, but years ago it wasn't uh, suggested or healthy to sleep with a, with a lens in, a rigid or a soft lens. And so when people wore those lenses, they had to wear them during the daytime and then uh, take them out. And that somewhat mm-hmm. defeated the, 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 pra- the purpose of that. But then they developed mm-hmm. new super permeable lenses. So, yeah, I have people who have worn those lenses for 10 or 20 years, 10 years at least. Mm-hmm. They wear them only at night and nothing during the day. And so they put them in at night. It reshapes their cornea. Mm -hmm. It kind of uh, does the same thing as refractive surgery like LASIK, except with the contact. They wake up. They see well. They don't have to wear anything. So if they're doing sports, they don't have to worry about their lens being lost. They don't have to worry about dust in their eye. And it keeps their vision good all day long. And sometimes people can go a couple of days with no contacts. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's still done. And the two two things that have made that more possible is computers, to exactly measure the shape of the eye to get a better fit and nighttime materials that are super permeable to oxygen. So those two technologies have made that possible. And that's called orthokeratology. The ortho meaning to straighten, Mm. just like orthodontia, Mm -hmm. orthokeratology. Oh, sure. uh, Some people call it gentle corneal shaping, but technically it's called Mm. orthokeratology.
0: Interesting. Well, both of my – I've never worn – Contact lenses. Me personally, I don't even like you putting eye drops in my eyes. Let alone, am I going to put something in my eye? Both of my kids wear wear contacts, um, and sometimes um, Julie will not wear contacts and will just wear her glasses. And I know that there's there's been so many changes now. There's you know there's these disposables, there's these dailies. But you and I were talking just before we went on the air this morning. I had on the Today Show, and they were talking about. Um, how people were wearing these disposable contact lenses and were just just nonchalantly just flushing them down the toilet. And that that was like a big no, no because that actually goes out to the ocean. And I thought, whoa, if people have that practice, I guess it would be recommended that you do not do that, correct? Right,
1: yeah, I never even thought about that until I saw that news feed. I mean, I thought about yeah. the new talk about, you know, plastic straws and plastic bags, right. but I never thought about contacts myself. But I would say yeah, interesting. looking at that, throw them in the throw them in the recycling or in the trash. It's better than having them in the water supply.
0: Absolutely. And I, I
1: just didn't, didn't even think about that.
0: I know. Pretty cool. Well, in, in, in keeping with with the with the instruction, because that's really what I'm hoping to learn today, for me and for everyone else, I know that many people probably know this, but I would like you to explain what is the difference between an optometrist, which is what what your field is, and an ophthalmologist. What what is that difference?
1: Well, there is a lot of confusion, and part of that is because both the optometrists and ophthalmologists have a lot of overlap. We both do a lot of the same things, but technically an ophthalmologist goes to medical school and then they do a residency in ophthalmology uh, where they uh, specialize and learn a lot about uh, diseases and disease detection and just general you know, eye care and also surgery. So ophthalmologists do uh, surgeries. Optometrists after college go to optometry school which is four years long. Uh, sometimes they may do a residency, but the concentration in optometry school, other than uh, treatment of disease now, which is, uh, you have a lot of hours in that, but also in, ter- in terms of learning about optics, uh, lenses, contact lenses. So optometrists have a lot more formal education in refracting and doing eye exams for glasses, contacts, optical things, all optical instruments where ophthalmologists spend a little more of their time in working on diseases. Uh, But um, in California, I would say except for surgery, uh, there is a a lot of overlap uh, between the two. But if a person needed a cataract surgery, for example, they'd need to go to an ophthalmologist. Now, one important thing is that ophthalmologists In California, we're fortunate here in Los Angeles because we have a lot of really good ophthalmologists and they really specialize in certain things. So the important thing is to, if a person's going to ophthalmologist, to make sure you go to the right one who does what Mm -hmm. you need. If you go to, for example, uh, certain places, an ophthalmologist might say, I only do the retina the back of the eye and I don't do anything at the front of the eye. They're so specialized. So you want to direct them to Mm -hmm. the right people and uh, we have very good relationships with our ophthalmologists, and and our ophthalmologists we work with, I would say, are are just first class. They're just the best. And so we work oh, together a great. lot, a lot better than ever in the past. And and um, and they do a little more of uh, the disease. We do a little more of the other.
0: It sounds like a teamwork, and I I like that. So my guess is, if you refer um, to ophthalmologists, you may have ophthalmologists that conversely refer back to you guys so that that's a that's a great team when when you think about when we hear the word 2020 and i'm not talking about the tv show now um in the in the old days that was that was known to be like you had like perfect vision you already have a 2020 vision is is that is that still true today is 2020 considered to be perfect vision
1: so 2020 is just a uh, a standard uh, way of saying that a person has good vision, average vision, average good vision, and uh, I would explain it this way. So first of all, what what do those numbers even mean?
0: Well, right. the top
1: number, 20, means that's the that's the testing distance. So when you have an eye chart, it's the equivalent of 20 feet away, and so that's what oh. the top number is. The, the bottom number represents the size of the letter that you can see. So a 20-size letter, and we don't need to get into all the details of why this is, but a 20-size sure. letter is about a third of an inch big. So if you can see a letter a third of an inch big at 20 feet, then you have 20-20 vision, and that would be considered good. However, a lot of people have better vision than 20-20. A lot of young hmm. people will have twenty fifteen 15 vision. Uh, some people don't have 20-20 vision, so a lot of people are, are much better. Uh, For example, Chuck Yeager, he was the Air Force pilot who broke the sound barrier back in 1947, and they said that he had 2010 vision, so he saw twice as good as 2020. And what that would mean, Marcia, is if two people were in a car and one person had 2020 vision, they're driving down the road, and the uh, the 2020 person could see a sign 100 feet away, Chuck Yeager could see that sign 200 feet away. So twice as far away, vision's uh, twice as acute. Wow. And uh, in some things, for example, professional baseball. Well, if you're just 2020, you're probably not good enough to play professional baseball. Your eyesight's just not good enough. If a uh-huh. pitcher's pitching the ball at 90 miles an hour, it's gonna take a half a second to go across the plate. You've got a tenth of a second to see and make a decision on a swing. And so they say that that good ball players, like say Barry Bonds, could see the ball as soon as it came off the pitcher's hand to see if it was a curveball, a fastball. Uh, so many many professional sports people have better than 20/20 vision, and that helps them helps them in their game.
0: That's so. I I told you, I knew when I when I started doing my show three and a half years ago. I knew that ultimately when I'd have you as a guest on my show, and we, back in the old days when I was in the studio, you could have just walked over to my studio. But now, you know, through the podcasting process, you know, we're not physically looking at one another. But I always knew I would learn things from you, Harold, because you, you are a wealth of a fountain of information. I never even thought about the vision of what you just described. And I don't know, you know, sometimes I get off subject, but last night I was watching um, the Olympics. Um, the the um, gymnastics the women in gymnastics and um, um, one of the one of the American girls was wearing glasses and I thought oh my God how is she flipping over on these balance beams and how is she doing all of this wearing glasses clearly they were very snugly secured to her head but it did make me think about that especially knowing that you were going to be on my show today I never. Made the connection. It must be the same in tennis. It must be the same in golf. But when you mentioned baseball, particularly when that ball is coming so quickly, that I can I can see why. Um, that, that's that's just that's just fascinating to me, here. I, I just never never even thought about that. Now conversely, right. so if you're playing soccer.
1: Yeah, if you're playing yeah. soccer, you may not need to have that acute vision because the ball is bigger and people, you're looking at people. But some sports, it's really important to just have really good vision.
0: Yes. I can, I can, I, you've made that really, I can visualize. No pun. Okay. But conversely, what does it mean, what's, what's the distinction of being legally blind? How would that be defined?
1: So uh, uh, various people will tell you from time to time that their vision is really poor and they're legally blind and, and uh, I'll commonly hear that. So uh, the definition of legally blind is to see poorer than 2200 and 2200 is poor is 10 times poorer than 2020 because it's all in proportion with your best correction. So that's the key with your best correction. So if a person has very poor vision, but they wear glasses and contact lenses and see see twenty twenty or twenty thirty or twenty forty they are not legally mm-hmm. blind. It means that with their best glasses, they still are poorer than twenty two hundred the kind of the big E on the chart so if they can't see that with their prescription, then they 're considered to be legally blind
0: I see that's interesting i didn 't know that how how has I'm sure this has been huge. How has technology affected optometry? Gosh, from when you first started. How long have you been an optometrist? How many years?
1: Well, over 30 years. Yeah, I've been okay. doing this over 30 years.
0: Okay. And
1: um, I think computer testing and computer things, things with computers in them, have affected all of medicine. Uh, and uh, so now certainly testing equipment, uh is uh is all computerized for example we have a we have an eye profiler by zeiss vision uh it's something that uh, measures your vision when you come in without you answering all those questions although you still have to answer some of them but you know zeiss is the foremost optical company they invented the anti-glare lens uh the lens that took the picture on the moon on the camera was a zeiss lens and so their equipment they're kind of the mercedes of lenses but but you come in and say you have a a young person who really can't answer that many questions and and or a person who can't read read the letters or for whatever reason you want to have an idea what their what is their prescription and so you can use this equipment now to to measure that now
0: mm-hmm.
1: you can't use that and not do the other things because the other things add a little more uh precision to the measurement, so we still Mm-hmm. Also, still ask people about what they see. But so, technology and equipment we have a, a piece of equipment called an uh, OCT optical coherence tomographer, which will look in the back of your eye and see behind the retina to see if you have any leakage of blood or fluids or macular degeneration or other things. So, there's just a lot of uh, technology in that. And then the other thing that really in technology, which has been um, pretty big, is in materials. For example, glasses. Uh, before computers came along, you know, glasses, lenses for glasses were basically the same for the last 100 years. Uh, and they were rounded off to the nearest number. But now you can do digital lenses. You can make a digital prescription and have a computer see what is the best prescription for you, customized for you, personalized for you. Mm-hmm and uh, not round it out, and, and they can just be better. So, uh, so uh, equipment, testing equipment, lenses, contact lenses, everything's affected by technology. But That's you can't right. uh, depend on it totally because, you know, it uh, sometimes needs an override. Sometimes you just need to look and say, I got this number out of the computer. Does it make sense? And sometimes you look uh-huh. at it and say, well, I don't know why, but it's just not right. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's good, but it's, it uh, still doesn't do everything.
0: Well, that's right. That's why we, we have physicians. Uh, uh, in the past, some people that wanted to get contacts um, but were told they couldn't be made for them, is that still the case today? Can, can anyone be a contact lens wearer?
1: Yeah, we touched on that briefly, and the answer to that is that we can now make custom lenses for people and order them,
0: mm-hmm. and we can have
1: the com- com- specialized computers measure the exact shape and model the contact fit,
0: and Knife. you can make things. Okay. So
1: you can make things for most people, but there are still some other things uh, which uh, are issues, for example, sometimes dry eye or sometimes Mm -hmm. uh, other factors can factor. But but making the actual prescription, I would say that the days are past where we just couldn't make what would help you see.
0: Interesting. Um, I think a lot of people don't even think about going to see their eye doctor as long as they feel they're not having any problems. I know I never went to the eye doctor until I started honestly having issues i mean you go to get the dmv and you do an eye chart but if you're not really experiencing any um vision issues you might not go to the doctor so what do you feel about having regular exams even if you don't have any sight symptoms is that still would you still recommend that everyone do that
1: i think it is important on some type of schedule and Let's look at a couple of different patient populations and see. Let's say that you have a young person who's in uh maybe five or seven in, in elementary school or maybe even younger. Well, part of the issue with them is they're maybe not that aware of their not not that aware of their vision. My father was nearsighted and he he didn't really know he was nearsighted. They lived on the farm and and uh one day he was in school and and uh, some other pupil in the school dropped his glasses, they broke. He went down and helped pick up the lens, and when he picked up a part of the lens, he looked through it and said, oh, I can see the tree outside. And he never knew oh. that he was nearsighted. So there was a total lack oh. of awareness. And kids mm-hmm. don't, won't say, oh, I can't see this or that. Sometimes they will, sometimes they won't. And then mm-hmm. also, you know, in testing, when you test children on a screening, you're testing them to be nearsighted. Can they see the chart? Well, in mm-hmm. elementary school, what do kids do? They're, it's all about reading. It's about learning to read. And if one eye can't see and the other eye can, they wouldn't be able to tell you that if they have problems mm-hmm. focusing and can't keep their place. Uh, you know, so, so you uncover things that people don't notice. I think when people are older, the issue is that some eye diseases, like glaucoma, for example, Uh, which is a problem where people go blind in their side vision, sometimes related with increased pressure in the eye, it really has no symptoms for years. And so one eye covers up for the other eye. If one eye gets glaucoma and you have two eyes open, you'd probably never notice it until you lost vision. And so you can't tell. Um, So that would be a reason. And then the other reason, I think, is just that looking into your eyes from a health point of view it's the only place where you can look right at the blood vessels. You look through the pupil, that uh, circle in the iris, where the black part of your eye. You look through there. It's just like a like a window, and you look inside, and you can see. Uh, often, if a person maybe has a tendency to high blood pressure, uh, diabetes, um, macular degeneration, all types of things, and that's a window to what's happening in the rest of their body, and so and you can just look right at it. So. So, in terms of uh, health, in terms of functioning, and then the other factor is that um, to function well and do well, why not be seeing the best you can? And sometimes people don't Absolutely. know that they. Sometimes you'll show people things, and they'll say, "Oh, I never knew I was seeing so poorly. I just happened slowly. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice it." So mm-hmm. it does have a it does have a benefit to do it on a regular basis.
0: It, that makes total sense, and um, honestly. Um, what you describing the children, you know, you, it's like, well, move Johnny up closer to the front of the classroom, you know, because he can see the blackboard better. You know, you, you used to hear things like that. So this, this, makes, this makes total sense to me, what you've just said. When it comes to eye conditions, um, most of us know about allergies, particularly or we're in California right now with the amount of particles that are in the air because of all the fires. Um, our eyes can, can feel dry. They can feel itchy at times. Um, do you recommend that eye drops can help sort of alleviate some of the allergens or just particles that are in the, in the air for us?
1: A lot of people do find a lot of relief with uh, using eye drops. And mm-hmm. I would say that one thing to um, be cautious about, though, is that sometimes when people's eyes are red, um, then they'll use a drop that has an anti-radiating agent like Visine, or there's a number, get the red out kind of drops. Uh huh. people's eyes are red, can be red for a reason. And they're not red for no reason. They're red because they're mm-hmm. irritated, because they're dry, because something's happening. And these uh, eye drops to get the red out just kind of cover that up and they, they compress the blood vessels so it looks like they're not as red for a few minutes, and then a little while later, uh, the redness can come back. And if those are Mm -hmm. overused, people can get what's called rebound hyperemia, which means just that the redness comes back and it's more. So it's better to use a drop sometimes without that anti-redness agent and, and kind of strike more at the problem and then use that and um, that could be better. Different drops, different people like different ones. Um, some are thicker, some are thinner, some feel more comfortable, and there's a lot of very good eye drops, and and certainly it's a, it's a step, and a lot of people are benefited. Now, when it comes to allergies, mm-hmm. there's a couple, two or three different categories of drops that work well for allergies. One is prescription drops, which probably are the best. Uh, secondly are just the ones that kind of... Uh, squeeze the blood vessel, and they can help short-term, but they don't really aren't as good. And then there's a drop, for example, I'll give you one uh, actual example. There's a drop called Aloe, um, which it actually has an antihistamine in it. It's over-the-counter, no prescription, and uh, it used to be prescription. And when it was prescription, it was very expensive. Now it's non-prescription, and it works better mm-hmm. than some of the others because uh, it has an antihistamine. And if you're prone to allergies, say seasonal allergies or a certain type of year, you have allergies, the other thing is it's not good to wait until your eyes are just really bothering you, itching, and then use it because once an allergy starts, it's like a fire. It's, it's hard to put it out. So it's better to yeah. try and um, try and not have it start up. So mm-hmm. a drop like allergy, a drop like, uh, like aloe, you would use one drop a day. In a season where you might have allergies every day, whether you think you need it or not, and then if your eyes are bothering you, and then probably twice, and that will work a lot better mm-hmm. than waiting until you have a problem. That's
0: good advice. I told you this was going to be a good joke. Okay, so moving forward, because I know how I'm related to this, you know, we have what, what you might call a digital eye syndrome between our computers and our phones and our Kindles and all of our handheld devices, and I know myself, I spend a great deal of time facing a computer screen. I remember one time, uh, Harold, you actually prescribed me what you called computer glasses. Um, but w- what do you, what, what's the theory, what's, what's, the, what's the going thought now about how we can reduce some of the eye strain based on so much of what we're doing in our lifestyles today?
1: Well, it, it is true that uh, screen time and computer time is uh, not great for people's eyes and causes a lot of uh, issues. And one issue that it causes is just, for some people, just causes them to get more nearsighted. Um, Nearsightedness has Mm -hmm. gone up about um, 60% worldwide in 40 years. And so that's among all groups. If you look back to, say, Eskimos or certain populations that weren't in school years ago, they weren't nearsighted. you go back 100 years, Look at farmers. Mm-hmm. You know they, for the most part, weren't nearsighted. So uh, this this nearsightedness is is one thing. I read once in a journal a few years ago, in an optical journal in the early 1900s. They said they were worried about reading back then, doing close work, and they their mm-hmm. their suggestion was, don't start school till you're eight years old, and use a double peak of typeface. Now most people don't know what a typewriter is anymore, so. But the idea, but that never really caught on. But as today, the things you can do is, is uh, number one thing I see is take some breaks. After 20 minutes Mm -hmm. on the computer, uh, take a 20 second break. Look 20 feet away. It's not good for your eyes to be glued to a screen for a long, long time. It's not good for you. So uh, that's the 20, 20, 20 rule. Take a break. Uh, 20 seconds, even if you don't get up and do anything, just look look far away, let your eyes relax, uh, come back. That's a very important thing. It's also important for people to maybe not have their computer screen quite so high because it's harder for your mm-hmm. eyes to look straight ahead. The muscles work harder than if you have it down just a little bit. I see this often in phones. If you go to the airport or go anywhere, mm-hmm. anywhere, you'll see people have their phones right up in their face, real high right up in their face. Well, move your phone down, move it away from you. It's twice as easy to see it from a focus point of view, from a work point of view, if you don't have that phone quite so close. And then, uh, you know, it's not just about work. I mean, people now need computers and screens and all this for work, but but personal time, uh, Facebook and uh, games and all of this stuff. Now, I'm not an advocate Mm -hmm. of giving all that up, but uh, sometimes mm-hmm. people are a little going overboard on, you know, uh,
0: mm-hmm. they go
1: to work and start the computer, and then what's their hobbies? Uh, you know, uh, staying on their phone six hours a day. So, you know, mm-hmm. a, little of, uh, a little bit of moderation that, there would, would yes. help. I There's would one say, other fact would, that is very interesting with yes. computers, and that is that mm-hmm. computers uh, on screens, that means phones, iPads, handhelds, computers, uh, digital displays, emit blue lights. And blue light is, a, is similar to ultraviolet oh. light and, and has some issues with causing some strain, possibly be related to some macular generation as people are older. But blue light tends to decrease melatonin, and that can cause some sleep problems. So that means that if a person is on their phone late at night and they can't go to sleep, maybe uh, it's because their melatonin sleep cycle has been affected. So that would suggest that... You get off your phone or, or iPad or whatever it is and take a little break mm-hmm. um, at night to, to sleep a little better. So that's, a, that's kind of a new area of interest.
0: You're not kidding. And speaking of, of your eyes, because this has obviously been our subject all, all afternoon, um, I've heard it's really important to wear sunglasses to protect your eyes from the sun and the ultraviolet light. Can cheap sunglasses work against you or do you recommend prescriptive sunglasses let's talk a little bit about sunglasses
1: so the the uh, thing with sunglasses in general is that it is important to protect your eyes uh, from the sun and ultraviolet light and that's easy to see because if you drive down the street and look at someone's old wood fence it's been out in the sun for a while or if you put mm-hmm. colored drapes in the window and look at them after five years the sun is going to just fade them out, and uh, right. so it does the same thing to the lens in the eye over time, and can cause some premature cataracts as well as a variety of other conditions. So, protecting your eyes from the sun is a is a good thing to do. Now, cheap sunglasses have a number of issues. Number one, you don't have any idea what you're getting. You go to the department store and get a pair of sunglasses, and do they actually have the protection in them? Well, maybe, maybe not. Uh, but there's another issue. And that is that, that, uh, what we call inexpensive or cheap sunglasses. Sometimes they just don't use very good lenses. And so the mm. lenses are distorted and people put them on and they, they, they can't put their finger on it, but they say, yeah, when I wear those sunglasses, I kind of get a headache or I feel strain and do it's quite see the same. And so, the name brand sunglasses, the better quality non-prescription sunglasses, on the average, the, the companies that want to protect their reputation as quality, they, have, they usually use good, uh, good <coughs> lenses. And uh, so uh, step up a little bit on the sunglasses. Uh, and if you hold up a sunglass at, uh, at the department store or, you know, at Venice Beach and you look at the lens and move, look through the sunglasses and move a little bit and you see everything moving and waving, well, that's not the sunglass for you.
0: Is it true or is this a myth that people with brown eyes have less sensitivity than a person with blue eyes or green eyes? Uh,
1: many times that's true because in the back of the eye, the retina, which is like the film in a camera where the light falls in the back of the eye, the, the uh, retina in the back when a person's light complected has blue eyes, a lot of time has less pigment. And so that pigment, less pigment, it doesn't absorb the light as well. And so Mm -hmm. on the average, and this is not always true, but on the average, if you had an African American and you looked in their eye, their eye would be darker inside. And they would absorb the light much better. And if you looked at a a Caucasian blue-eyed person who's very fair complexion, they would have a very light eye. And they might be much more light sensitive and have even greater need to protect their eyes against the sun
0: interesting. That's very so. interesting. Yeah, that I mean that that's really interesting, you know. I, I got to tell you Harold, you know, I don't wear sunglasses. And um maybe that's something I'd add to my uh, routine. Um but we, I do have this issue. <laughs> so I thought we could talk about this now, um doctor, and that's night vision problems. now I was really born to be a passenger anyway to be perfectly honest with you. If I never drove again, I'd be perfectly fine. But um the reality is is that when I drive at night, and we, you and I have talked about this, the rear-view mirror actually bothers me, especially if I've got like an SUV behind me or one of those LCD BMWs. So sometimes, and the same with my left, my, my side mirror. So I, you'll see me sometimes driving home from a basketball game with my hand like blocking my my side mirror because the lights are just so difficult for me what 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 causes that kind of discomfort
1: well it it is true and these new high intensity headlights on cars uh, i'm not sure they're really made in for the city like where we live it's probably good out in the mm-hmm. farmland somewhere where there's no lights but they they do have a lot of glare and they're very bright and they shine right in your eye and and cause some issues. You know, and your in your rearview mirror inside your car, you usually have a little tab and you can turn that rearview mirror and it changes the angle so you can see out of it still, but you don't have that same uh, reflection and those same bright lights. So right. they've taken care of that a lot of times inside the car, but that doesn't help your that doesn't help your uh, mirrors on the sides, and. No. Um, yeah and as people get older their their eyes have more reflections and uh more sensitive to that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, various people have more issues for that they It is important on that to make sure that- gla- that the glasses if a person is wearing glasses that they have a good quality anti glare lens in it to reduce right. a lot of that glare and and take it down and there are other special things, if people have really issues with it, there are a few other things that, that can be done that can improve it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it is yeah. inherently, yeah, you shine a bright light in your eye at night, and, and your pupil is much yeah. more open, yeah. and so you get all that light coming right in. So there's right. no total exactly. solution to it.
0: Right. In the time remaining, I'd like to talk about these, this, this uh, information. That is, we, we, we've mentioned low vision, and um, I understand that you personally are a member of a small group of elite optometrists, um, the International Academy of Low Vision Specialists. Can you tell me a little bit about that? What, I don't even know what a low vision exam is and how that differs from just a normal eye exam. What, what is that?
1: So low vision is about people. And I'll, I'll tell you about the person that I saw this morning who is a, a low okay. vision patient. So so he came in and he was actually uh, a little younger, meaning he was only about 60. He has some macular degeneration, um, worse in one eye, not quite as bad in the other eye. And uh, he had glasses and he's had his eyes checked numerous times And and so at his last examination, they said to him, well, this is as good as we can do for your glasses. We can't make them any stronger. Uh, you need to come in so we can watch your max generation, but there's not anything we can do to help you see better. So, that, so mm-hmm. that's what they're always told. He said, there's nothing more that we can do. So these would be people who have low vision. They go for a standard exam. They either get glasses, and when they get them, they say, these aren't any better than what I had before, or the doctor tells them, there's nothing more we can do. And Now, what mm-hmm. does that mean, there's nothing more we can do? What that means is that the doctor has nothing more to show them and doesn't know really where to get anything else or to show them or to order it. It doesn't mean that there's not anything available. So we, uh, we take a look at and see what they wanna do. These are task-oriented uh, exams. So in a low vision exam, we're not concerned about spending a lot of time uh, seeing what's happening with their generation. They're already going to someone else for that and that's a separate issue. So we're saying, what do you want to do that you're not able to do now? And in his case, he said, well, I, I'm not able to read very well. I have problems seeing my phone, and I'm barely able to see barely driving. Okay. And so mm-hmm. we work on those things that they want to do, and we show them special lenses. The lenses may have telescopes. They may have microscopes. They may have a whole variety of different things, special filters and colors because his other issue was he was really bothered by glare. And so we're looking at uh, task-related special things that will help him. The other thing is these exams take a lot longer. This exam will take an hour to an hour and a half because we have mm-hmm. to actually show them a variety of things. There's a lot of choices and we show them things and, and say, now look through this, and we, because it's, and when it comes to magnification, it's not just making things bigger, it's making the right amount. And uh, so a low vision exam then is for people who who are beyond what normal exams will do in terms of helping them see better. Uh, their vision is not usually correctable to uh, 2020 or say even 2040. They can't do the things they want to do. And um, and when you think about that, imagine that you're thinking about your own retirement. Well. If you're thinking about your retirement, you're thinking about doing things, Uh, you know, Mm -hmm. you're thinking about still possibly reading, you're thinking about seeing pictures of your children and, and, uh, and being able to watch TV and being able to drive. And if you found out one day that you were not able to do any of those things and the doctor said, there's nothing more we can do, I'm sorry, Marcia, you'll, you'll never be able to read, your computer's over for you, uh, person across yeah. the room, you can't see if they're smiling, it would really be kind of uh, depressing. And it would How put a bet. kink in, in, in the thing. So, so that's our purpose, to help these people uh, do better and do the things that they want to do and it helps them be more independent and it it's not just about their eyes it helps them physically do better uh when people hmm. can't see and feel dependent on other people and not independent anymore and can't do it then then they are not as healthy generally so it's about okay. helping them do these things and be more healthy
0: oh i just that's 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 wonderful that there are so many um options out there and i know that um, you have a website. Would you like to mention um, your website? So, if people want to um, visit if, learn more about low vision, how would they go about right. learning? Right. So, that my, her-
1: my uh, website, my low vision website, is called lowvisionlosangeles.com. And uh, if you live in an area not here and you had a concern about that with yourself or with a family member, if you mm-hmm. looked up uh, low vision or low vision optometrist. Now, most low vision is done by optometrists because if you go to the ophthalmologist, say the one who treats you for macrogeneration or the diseases, and you said to mm-hmm. the ophthalmologist, I want you to spend an hour and a half with me today, that probably wouldn't yeah, that's get not in your
0: head.
1: Yeah, right. so, so you could look up under uh, low vision and a low vision mm-hmm. optometrist right? and then you would see maybe who's in your area we also have a group of this group we have about a little bit less than 40 of us all across the country and uh, you can find uh, on the, uh, the uh, academy uh, website all of the different doctors in different areas and we're cool. meeting in uh, meeting in November in San Antonio Texas to just go over all the latest things uh, new digital things and meet and talk about things and the group is a great resource to each other. If someone uh, sees a person and has a question, we can talk to each other and, and really know what's the latest technology, and, and uh, so the group's been a great help on that.
0: That's tremendous. What, is there a common cause for low vision? Is it really mostly age-related?
1: The most common cause is macular degeneration. And macrogeneration mm-hmm. is a problem where the, the um, age-related macrogeneration, that is a problem where the mm-hmm. center of the macula or the very center of the back of the retina is, is um, injured and not seeing well, and it, it makes people's central vision be poor. But also, uh, you know, cataracts, glaucoma, uh, albinism, nystagmus, there are a whole variety of other conditions which could cause a person to have low vision. But I'm going to say a majority have degeneration, And that's more common as people are older. And uh, yeah, it's, that a, it's a major risk, especially for Caucasians. Uh, it's a major risk. Uh, you know, at 90 years old, probably maybe 20 or 30% of people have a little degeneration. It just life expectancy has gone up. And along with yes. it, um, some of these problems have, have gone up. So that's on the, huh. on the increase.
0: I bet. Yeah, um. I know when I was um growing up, you always heard, you know, you got to eat your carrots because if you eat your carrots, you're going to have healthy eyes. Um, is there is there anything to what 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 would you say is the role of nutrition in today's healthy lifestyle for your for your eyes for healthy eyes?
1: Well, carrots are good for your eyes, and they, they have been, you know, if a person didn't have any beta carotene or vitamin A carrots, they might have some night blindness, but that's actually fairly uncommon. And But things that are good for you generally are good for your eyes. And uh, mm-hmm. the best thing for your eyes in terms of nutrition are uh, dark green leafy vegetables, uh, things like even broccoli, collard greens, um, Kale is probably the top of the list of everything. Uh, things with color in them like peppers are very good for your eyes. Uh, you know, some fruits and things. Uh, those are very good for your eyes. Fish, very good for your eyes uh, for, mm-hmm. because of the omega-3. Uh, fish, very good. Red meat, less so. Trying uh, try and avoid that. So uh, let's take Not- nutrition for macros generation. So if a person had macrogeneration yeah. and they wanted to do something from, say, what can I do? Well, there's only mm-hmm. really three things you can do. Number one is not smoke. Smoking is a big risk for mac generation. And eat well, meaning these things just mentioned. Okay? Mm-hmm. Number two would be wear sunglasses. And number three mm-hmm. would be possibly take vitamins that have, um, um, you know, uh, lutein and zeaxanthin, the pigments. Now, these pigments in the eye are, act like a sunglass in your eye to protect your eye against mm-hmm. light. So those three things. And... Those three things would uh, be good for the other conditions. If a person had diabetes, they'd want to manage their diabetes, and that would help their not have eye conditions. And so nutrition is actually getting to be very important. All the things you know about nutrition already, you know, don't eat junk food, don't eat sodas all the Mm -hmm. time, get some exercise, Mm -hmm. uh, don't stare at that computer all the time. But all those things are just general things that are going to help your vision.
0: Oh, that sounds terrific! And today you hear so much about LASIKs. Could you just spend a couple of minutes telling us what LASIKs is and why do people get it?
1: What is Lasix? So LASIK? So LASIK is a refractive procedure where they reshape the front of the cornea, the very front of your eye, uh, and change your prescription so you don't need to wear glasses. So uh, especially when people are young, under 40, and don't have, don't need reading glasses, a person would get LASIK because they're nearsighted and they don't want to wear contacts or glasses anymore, and so they'd go in for LASIK. LASIK has gotten much better. Uh, Techno, the technology on LASIK is is just really good now, and outcomes are good as long as you go to a good doctor with a lot of experience, and um, so it's it's just another option for people. Um, We talked the other day, Marcia, and you asked me, well, is a person can be a person too old for LASIK? And sometimes a person may Mm -hmm. say, I'm interested in LASIK. Am I too old? Well, a person's not really ever too old to do it, but if a person is in their 60s or 70s and they're getting a little bit of a cataract, which is just that filming of the lens inside their eye, then they wouldn't actually be a candidate for LASIK because they would be a candidate to do a cataract operation with the implant, and that would do the same thing. So uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, people who are younger you can't do LASIK under about 18 and you have to also make sure your vision's is stable um, and not changing. So if a person came in and said, my vision's getting worse every year, well, you wouldn't tell them to do LASIK because LASIK's good today, but what about next year? Mm-hmm. You can't do LASIK mm-hmm. every year. So LASIK is mm-hmm. just another option and a lot of people have done it and have been very happy with it and you really hear pretty much mostly good about it when it's done by a good doctor
0: you know we we talked about cataracts and you and I have personally talked about that in regards to my health are these are these eye conditions are they hereditary like if your grandma or your grandpa had cataracts or your mom or your dad is it likely that you're you're likely going to have some of those conditions as well
1: so my grandmother did have macular degeneration And so that would Uh be a family history thing that might be uh, more likely to get it. But it's on different genes, and and some people have a genetic predisposition to that, certainly. So Uh genetics do play a role. Cataracts are not like the other things. Cataracts are more of an age-related change in the eye. And I would say that everyone gets a little bit of cataracts if they get old enough. Not everybody needs to do anything about it, but uh, Uh next generation glaucoma has a strong... uh, genetic basis if a person has a close relative parent sibling who has glaucoma it increases the risk it doesn't mean you'll have it but it increases the risk that you might have it so there there are some strong genetic patterns for eye problems
0: well I'm not looking forward to having cataract surgery so I hope that um, that isn't in my near future but at the same token you know what uh, way the options, you know, like, well, do you want to still do well? Well, I think well? that's I mean, I really you,
1: far away you know? for you, but but remember that, Marcia, cataract surgery now is the number one surgery on Medicare. They probably do two or three million a year. and The actual surgery really? is ten minutes. And it we used to just wait around until people just couldn't see. And now people say, mm-hmm. well, I didn't know that would be so easy. I should have done it earlier. So it's not a big worry now. Uh, it's there, and certainly like no if- one wants to do a surgery they don't need, but it's not a right.
0: great big concern. Wow. Well, we've talked a lot about eye health, which is really what I wanted to talk with you about. And in these last few minutes before we con- con- uh, conclude our show, I know that you've done an awful lot of traveling. I mean, I know about you, and I know that you've really traveled to some interesting places. What would you say is at the top of the most interesting place that you have traveled to, Harold?
1: Well, the the last couple places that I've traveled uh, is uh, to pick up my kids when they finish their their church missions, and so my daughter Kendra went to Cambodia, and and she was mm-hmm. there for a year and a half, practically, and my daughter Jillian went to Nicaragua, and in both cases we went down and and picked them up, went to the country. We saw the touristy things, and we also went to people's homes in total non-tourist cities where you see no tourists, and visited with them in their homes. And I'll say that when I got back home in both of these cases, I just uh, drove in, and I, I I looked down my street, and I noticed that that every one of my neighbors had one or two cars and they all had power and lights and they all had probably hot water running inside of their homes mm-hmm. and uh, they all could go to the grocery store 24 hours a day and, and buy food. And I don't think that anywhere in the U.S. you can go really, or maybe a few places, but most of the places in the U.S. you couldn't go to a hotel that didn't have a bathroom, that didn't have power, that didn't have these basic right. things and that that half the world out there live in very poor conditions and pretty much all the people in history before 100 years ago had those conditions and we should just be really uh, open to the idea and grateful for the opportunity uh, that we have in this country to just do uh, do things and the freedoms and opportunities and just the things we, we kind of take for granted that mm-hmm. other people don't they, they don't have those same opportunities even if they have the uh, desire to do things, the opportunities aren't the same. So some of these countries have really opened my eyes. Naturally, I like uh, traveling to Germany, which I'm going next month because I lived there for mm-hmm. a, for two years and know the language. So that will be very exciting. We're going down to Bavaria sure. over to Salzburg. Oh, so hot. that will be very exciting with some of my children. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm, uh, my daughter in uh, in Chile wants me to, come and pick her up and she wants to go to Peru to Machu Picchu so she's already oh, thinking nice. of of where I'll be next year. So so nice. but uh, there are just a lot of places to go and and uh learn about other people. Learn about other people and you find that they uh they can be happy in these situations and mm-hmm. they're more like us than we think. They have challenges that are exactly. different. Exactly. But um you're, you're, you know there's you're some good and bad right. things
0: you know, um, this hour flew by, and honestly, I could really, I'll have you back maybe in six months or whenever, Harold. We'll we'll pick a time to have you rejoin me, maybe the first part of the year when people are making New Year's resolutions, because I think you've shared so much important information, and I'm really really happy to hear that you have a little bit of balance, that you, you are able to travel and do the things that you do. I think that that's marvelous. It makes you Make makes your life complete. It can't just be about work. Um, And I know your family is very important to you. And I'm Facebook friends with a couple of your kids. And I just, I'm just, this show was exactly how I thought it would be. I learned a lot of things from speaking with you. And I'm just enormously grateful for having you as my guest. But more, more, more importantly, to having you as a health partner in my life. And I think that for most of us that have a special doctor, whomever that might be, when you have that kind of a team member, and we're talking our eyes here, this is really important. Um, I'm just grateful and have the confidence in knowing that you take your best care with me, that I never feel rushed, that you always answer my questions. And, well, I'm I'm just grateful, Harold, for, and it's so weird calling you Harold because I... You know, I'm going to Dr. Ashcraft. I don't say I'm going to Harold, but um, I've I've thoroughly enjoyed having you as my guest today.
1: Well, thank you so much, Marcia. I've really enjoyed talking to you today, and uh, I'll enjoy seeing you anytime. Just come down to the office, stop in. You know where where we are, and I just always yep. look forward to talking to you all the time.
0: Well, thank you so much, and so everybody. This is a big week for me because I'm going to do a second show tomorrow. I don't normally do a, a Tuesday show, but tomorrow I am having three superstar women on my show, um, a woman by the name of Sue Melke, Celeste Gleave, and Bridget, Bridget Cook-Birch because they are all in town to talk about this big um, program that they're doing um, this, this weekend called the Superman. I'm sorry, did I say Superman? I knew I would say that wrong the Superwoman Equality and Empowerment Summit. And we're going to be talking all about what they're doing and what it means to be a superwoman and the She Heroes um, United organization. So that's going to be a very special show tomorrow. It's also going to be at a special time from 3 to 4. But in the meantime, just thank you for joining me. Tell your friends to listen. This was a very educational show, and I just look forward to doing this every week with you, but particularly again tomorrow. So, Harold, thanks once again. I'm going to pay a little go-out music. Go out and have a terrific day, everybody. I sure appreciate you joining me every week. Bye for now.